Welcome to The Jury Is Out, a podcast for trial attorneys who want to sharpen their skills and better serve their clients. Your co-hosts are John Simon, founder of the Simon Law Firm, and St. Louis attorney Eric Veith. Welcome to The Jury Is Out, and with me today are three of the young attorneys from our office, Elizabeth McNulty, Paul Tahan, and Megan Crow. And today we're going to talk about a very interesting topic, and that is something I know very little about and they know all about, and that is surviving the first few years of your legal career, of your practice. So with that, what I'd like to do is go around the table and have each of you tell everybody a little bit about yourself. My name is Elizabeth McNulty. I'm originally from a little town in Western Kentucky called Owensboro, Kentucky. I went to the University of Kentucky for undergrad and then came to St. Louis to go to WashU for law school. I've wanted to be an attorney for a really long time, and I was fortunate enough to land a law clerk position here at the Simon Law Firm after my first year of law school. I fell in love with the work that we do here, and I was also lucky enough to be offered a full-time position when I became an attorney in 2019. So I just entered my third year of practice. I work mainly with Tim Cronin. We do a lot of med mal, product liability, catastrophic injury cases. It's really interesting work. You become an expert in a lot of things I never thought that I would learn about, you know, like how a toilet functions, how You have to tell us work. a little more about that later. I will, definitely. <laughs> so it's great. I love working here and I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. But um, your first few years can be difficult and I'm sure we'll get into that a little more later. I'm Megan Crow. I'm originally from Edwardsville, Illinois, and that's about 30 minutes outside of St. Louis for those of you who are not familiar with it. I went to undergrad at the University of Alabama, and then I came back to St. Louis University for law school. I clerked here at the Simon Law Firm after my first year of law school. Loved it, had a great experience. And then for my first year and a half of practice, I was at a large defense firm in St. Louis, and it was always in my heart to come back to the plaintiff's side. I finally found my way back to the Simon Law Firm in January of this year. So I've been here for about nine months now and loving it. I work closely with Johnny Simon, John's son, and we do a lot of motor vehicle accidents and product liability cases. All right, Paul. My name is Paul Tahan, and I was born and raised in St. Louis. Went to Rockhurst University in Kansas City for undergrad. Came back to St. Louis to go to St. Louis University for law school. I've been with the Simon Law Firm for about three years now. The first two as a clerk, and then I became an attorney when I graduated. I work with Tony Simon, and we do intellectual property, so patent, trademark, copyright, those kinds of cases. And we also do a lot of commercial litigation and whistleblower cases, all of which I find very interesting. So I've been an attorney for about a year now doing that. So you guys are really early on in your career. And so, Elizabeth, you said you, you graduated in 2019? Yes. Okay. And then, Megan, when did you graduate? Also in 2019. 2019. Okay. So so both of you are, you have two years behind you, and you got starting your third year, right? Yep, that's right. And then, Paul, what about you? Was it 2020? 2020. Okay. So 2020. So you've just completed your first year and starting your second year, That's right? correct. What I want to do is start out by having each of you tell us a little bit about what's the best part of your job and, and what's the worst part of your job or some of the things that, that aren't so good about it. 
Funny enough, I think my best and worst is the same thing. One of the things I love the most about this job, and I think it will continue on, is that we are constantly learning. I'm learning new stuff every day, especially in your first few years of practice, constantly being challenged. But especially in this field of work, like I touched on earlier, we become experts in our cases and whatever the case is about. And that will continue on for as long as we're doing this. So we have a products case involving a toilet. And so I've had to learn um, a lot of engineering design about toilets, going through documents, stuff like that. So you got to tell us what happened with the toilet. <laughs> the toilet, it's a products case. Our client was installing the thing that makes the toilet flush. It's a plastic vessel inside the toilet and the way it was designed and manufactured. When our client was installing it, it blew up in his face, shattered the porcelain tank and injured him pretty seriously. So I've had to learn a lot about why the product was defective, going through design documents, things like that. And that's, you know, those documents are certainly pretty dense. I don't necessarily have an engineering background, but you do what you have to do in this job and you just learn as much as you can about it. You talk to your expert about it. And so you also become an expert in that field for a little while, at least. I'm not sure I'll have a lifelong interest and knowledge base in how the toilets toilet, function. The toilet explosion specialist. Exactly. <laughs> but I think that's really interesting. But the downside of that is it's really challenging and it can become really exhausting to constantly have to learn new things. And it can be really stressful in the first few years when you're kind of getting the hang of, you don't really know how to do anything coming out of law school. And I think that that's really hard at first to kind of adjust to constantly learning and constantly being really stressed out, quite frankly. You know, and the other thing too is everything that you do the first year or six months or even two years, you know, almost all of it is you're doing it for the first or second time. And it takes you a crazy amount of time to do it. Think about preparing for your first expert's deposition. And again, I mean, the more time you spend, the better, you know, preparation is key. But the whole learning curve, it might take you two or three days, you know, the first time around and to do the same good job, you could do it the second time and half the time, maybe even, you know, less. It, it, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. Okay. So, all right, uh, Megan? For me, the best part is having my feet put to the fire and being in courtrooms and doing hearings and taking depositions every day and really getting a feel for the courtroom. And at the same time, that can be the worst part because it's the part that I have the least experience with. And, uh, you know, in law school, I know how to write memos and, and write and research. And I don't know how to, you know, be in front of a judge. And so at the same time, that is both my favorite part and also the most scary part because it's the most unfamiliar. So Megan, let me ask you this. So when, when you started, you started nine months ago, mm -hmm. how long were you here before you took your first deposition? I think it was about two weeks. Two weeks. All right. And then you also tried a case, right? In the first five months. Okay. All right. So anyway, <laughs> that's off to a good start. To me, I, I think, you know, the worst thing of all is wasted talent Everything you learn from here on out, you're going to be learning by doing. And that's really what you need to do. It, wasted talent is the worst thing in the world. And I will tell you guys, if I haven't already, and I, I tell everybody else here, if you ever feel like you're not being challenged here and pushed to your abilities, come down and see me. Bang on my door and we will fix that. <laughs> so it is so true. Watching is one thing and you can watch and learn, but you really not, you need to jump in and, and, and do it. That's how you really learn. Paul, what about you? 
So the things that Elizabeth and Megan said were two of my favorite things. So I kind of want to cover something kind of different that's kind of more unique to what we do specifically. And in my day-to-day, my clients are all engineers or artists or they're physicians or other skilled practices to where they're basically experts in their field. And it's something that they're really passionate about and something they know a lot about. And something that I really enjoy about the job is learning from our clients about their specific area and what makes their job go through the day to day and learning the different complexities of different products or different inventions and that sort of thing. And learning it from somebody who's really an expert or the expert in that field. That's something that I find very rewarding and I think is very interesting. And you know, one of the things too, I think here versus I started at a defense firm, I worked four and a half years at one of the bigger defense firms here in St. Louis. Great experience and all of that, but you just didn't get to do the same kind of things that you do at a firm like ours or, you know, a smaller firm, a plaintiff's firm, or just, I guess, a smaller firm. You know, I was there four and a half years and, you know, didn't get a whole lot of client contact. You weren't the lead attorney on, on a lot of cases. I think I waited, you know, way too long before I was thrown in taking depositions. And that was really the most frustrating thing for me was, you know, wanting to do more and being what I thought held back a little bit. Believe me here, you you won't be, you know, we're not we're trying to hold you back. We're trying to push you forward here. Okay. And and I've had an experience and I, I know it's it's kind of the, the structure and organization of a firm with 120 lawyers and different levels and partners and junior partners. And they've got a client they've had for 40 years and the client wants some continu- continuity. So you're not going to be going and meeting with the client and doing certain things. I get that. I understand it. But I would say to our listeners, whether you've been out 10 years, five years, two years, push really hard. You really have to fight to get to do things. If if there are things you want to do, you want to try more cases, you want to be able to take more, you know, more significant role in the case, uh, it's not going to happen at most places just sitting there. I mean, you, you got to make some noise. You got to, sh- first of all, you got to show the partner that you're working for that, you know, you're, you have the ability and the confidence to be able to do it. You, you, know, you do that by showing good work. But you're doing yourself a disservice if you're not learning something every week, every day, every month, you know, pushing to learn something new. That's what it's all about. The, you know, the learning begins when you get out of law school. The listeners have heard this from me before. Getting that law degree and passing the bar is like somebody giving you the keys to a brand new shiny sports car and you've never driven before. You know, you can get in it and you can wreck it or you can you can have somebody show you how to drive it you know, and, and, and drive it effectively and efficiently. And, and, and really that's it. I, I was very, very lucky because I had attorneys all the way through every firm I've been at who were good lawyers. And they also took the time out to, you know, to explain things to me. A lot of times it was when I, you know, I, I messed something up or made a mistake. Hopefully I didn't do that too often, but if you're not working for somebody who is really going to take the time to show you and teach you, you need to work somewhere else. And, and I, I, I mean that. It doesn't matter salary and all this other stuff and, you know, partnership. You need to be at a place where the person that you're working with is taking the time to help you develop as an attorney. And and that's really what it's all about. Uh, Paul? So the worst part of my job, I don't know that this is necessarily the worst. This is definitely the hardest part. And it's the things they don't teach you in law school and also aren't really things that people talk about, like questions of like, you know, opposing counsel wants an extension. This is the fourth or fifth time they've won an extension. 
they've got to kind of excuse, you know, their kid is sick. So, you know, you feel like you have to grant it, but it's also clear that they're trying to delay. Like, what do you do in that sort of situation or situations where you have a client who has a problem that needs to be solved, but it's not something you can handle. What do you do in those kinds of situations? And I think learning how to handle a situation where it's not a question of legal skill or legal talent or taking a deposition or doing something like that, but where it's a question of interpersonal skills, a professional relationship between you and especially somebody who you don't work with, that has been something that I have felt is challenging and has had a steep learning curve. And what class is that taught in in law school? You know, I think I must have slept through that one. <laughs> I mean, that's really a good point. I mean, that's the kind of thing day to day that, you know, you don't learn anything in law school about that. And, you know, for instance, I I, I really, the habits that I developed, I, I developed them in my first year or two of practice. I worked with, you know, an attorney, Paul Brown, who's still in town and practicing. You know, we didn't always agree on things, but boy, he he did it by the book. I mean, he was very organized and, uh, you know, taught me a good work ethic and, you know, no stone unturned and uh, just to be very thorough and, you know, not leave anything to chance. And that was really no, no, no shortcuts. I mean, no shortcuts. And so, you know, I learned that early on that, you know, you take everything very seriously and, you know, look at everything you need to look at. You know, I've been lucky. I, I really, I went from that firm then to the next firm and I've always had attorneys who took the time to teach me and help me. And I think I've, I've tried, I hope I've done a, a decent job of trying to, to pass that on also, you know, with the, with the lawyers that are here. I think that's certainly the number one tip for surviving your first year or two of practice is to find not just one, but several important mentors and mentors in different places in their career, you know, have someone maybe a year or two ahead of you who you can ask the little questions and then have mentors who are later in their career to ask maybe some of the bigger questions. Um, I know it's certainly helped me and, and having the attorney I work with, Johnny, as a mentor has been really helpful. Paul, exactly what you said, some of those interpersonal skills that you, you can't really learn in a class. Uh, it's been really helpful for me to observe my mentors in, in those situations, whether it be just talking to opposing counsel after hearing about the possibility of a settlement or a mediation, um, things that I wouldn't necessarily know how to handle myself at first. It, it's helpful to watch someone do it once and then um, kind of learn from there. So, you know, when we, when we got together, we talked about this podcast. You know, one of the things that I asked each of you to do is to, you know, shoot me an email with some of the things, some of the topics that you think would be good topics for discussion based on, you know, surviving or getting through your first couple of years, what you need to know in your first couple of years of practice. And so what I'd like to do is go through some of them with you. And the one of them we kind of already started, and that's the mentorship, you know, the importance of, of mentorship. It, it is, it is just so important. Paul? I agree. It's definitely important. And one thing that I felt really valuable about working here is it's not just Tony Simon who I feel I can go to and ask a question. If I have a question, I can, I feel like I can walk into any attorney's office and they're always, they've always been more than happy to help me. Even if it's a stupid question, I've walked into Megan's office and been like, Hey, I know this is a stupid question. I should probably know this, but you know, it's one of those things where, especially with the soft skills and with the things that you don't learn in law school, it's the only way to really learn it. Calling it a shortcut isn't good, but knowing when to ask questions and who to ask the question of is hugely valuable. It really makes it a lot easier and a lot more fun to learn what you're doing. 
Well, and I think the tricky thing about mentorship is it's so much better when it comes organically. I know some bigger firms assign you a mentor and, you know, that just doesn't always work out. You know, you're introduced to, you know, some guy named Joe and you have nothing in common and he knows nothing about you and you try to force it and it just doesn't work. So I think that making that happen organically and I think that the way I was able to do that is you do good work. You always say yes when you're asked if there's something that you can do um, in a case and then that builds trust so that person wants to help you because it's kind of a give and take. Everyone knows we're really busy people so sometimes more experienced lawyers don't necessarily want to take the time to answer your silly questions or teach you how to do something but that's so important to not only the younger lawyer that they're helping but to them because the more I know how to do the less that person has to do in their day-to-day because they can trust me to handle more stuff. So I think that if you can find someone that you really get along with and you can identify that they want to help you too, that will lead to a a really long-lasting relationship with that person. One of the most important things along those lines in a mentor is someone who will give you those opportunities to do things that you've never done before and then counsel you along the way. I know that's certainly been the case for me here, and it's certainly been extremely valuable. And you should ask questions. There, there is no question about that. You need to get in and, and get some feedback and ask questions. And, you know, a good way to do that that I see a lot of the lawyers here do is instead of going to somebody's office six, seven times a day, Make a list, make a list of things that you want to cover. So be respectful, you know, of their time also. But the other thing that's even more important, have a solution before you ask the question. Figure it out yourself because you don't want to get to a, in, in, into a habit of not analyzing it yourself, not coming up with a solution. And then, you know, you go in and, okay, I'm, what, what do I do here? Give me the answer. That's not the way it, it should happen. You need to have already analyzed it, figured it out and said, look, hey, there's three things I can do here. And I want to do this one because, you know, this is the reason to me. I, and I spent a whole lot of my time talking with the other lawyers about things. And even older lawyers will come in. You know, Amy will come in every other week or so with a list of five or six things that she wants to talk about. And I, I do the opposite of what my advice is. You know, I just barge into somebody's office when some, as soon as something pops up. But it's so important to get feedback. And even if you don't, if you're if even if you don't have a specific question, it's good when you take a deposition especially if it's your first or second or third or whatever, give it to the attorney that you're working with and they're going to look at it anyway eventually and just tell them, you know, give, give me some feedback on this. It, it is amazing how much I can tell about an attorney's level of experience and, and their skill level by just reading a deposition. It is I, I, attorneys I've never met, never laid eyes on them, and I will read three or four of their depositions and I will have formed some very, very strong opinions about their abilities. Just, you know, I'll read some of them and go, wow, this person, they got their stuff together and they know what they're doing because you can you can see where they're, what it is, is it's telling you their thought process in, in cases. So anyway, get, you know, ask for feedback. So getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. And, and one of you put that down. What, what are we talking about there? Yeah. So uh, this was mine. I think um, we've already touched on it a little bit, but uh, in your first year or two of practice, you're always going to be doing things for the first time. You're constantly being put in situations that you've never been in before. And that can be a scary or uncomfortable thing. And I think um, a good piece of advice is, is get comfortable with being uncomfortable and be flexible and just kind of accept that while it's scary at first, it's not always going to be the case. And soon you're going to be 
a, a pro at taking depositions. And it's important to be flexible and be prepared. And like John said, it might take you a lot longer to prepare for something the first time. But then after that, you'll you'll cut your preparation time in half. And, you know, there's a certain level of fake it till you make it. Yeah. And I thought too, the other thing, too, is don't be afraid to make mistakes because you're, you're going to make mistakes. And that's why you have other lawyers. You know, we don't take you know, brand new lawyers and, and throw them into to a case without some, you know, guidance and supervision. I mean, if that happens, please let me know because we shouldn't be doing that. Look, you're going to make mistakes. There is no question you're going to make mistakes. And, and the real issue is, you know, what did you learn from the mistake? Okay. And I'd say this often that you really don't know how to prepare a case until you've, you've tried a case, even taking a deposition. You know the basics, you know what the issues are, but until you've gone into court and you're trying to cross-examine a witness whose depot that you took and they're, you know, weaseling out of the, you know, the question, you're thinking, why didn't I guess I, I get, you know, they're, they're able to, you know, change their testimony to some extent and you really didn't pin them down. I remember the first few times I was in trial and my depositions, a lot of them were, were worthless because it was more like a casual conversation. And I'm thinking, you know, I didn't really pin them down on the important points. And, and so you really need to see, once you see firsthand how that deposition is used and, and how it ends up causing problems for you, if you don't do it a certain way, it, it kind of locks you in. I mean, after the first few trials, the next time I took depositions, it was like, no, we ain't, we ain't leaving here until we get this nailed down. I'm going to ask you six different ways and, you know, because that's what happens, you know. If you get if you get a good admission or something from in a deposition, I, I can guarantee you, you're going to go to court and they're going to find some way of trying to undo it or explain it or unexplain it or, 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 or you know whatever. The next topic is is gaining experience from pro bono cases. Megan, was that you? Yeah, that was also mine. I think this is a really good tip, uh, especially if you're at a larger law firm um, where you might not be getting that courtroom experience. Usually there's a lot of pro bono cases that are available for younger attorneys to take. And I know for me, uh, in my first year and a half, uh, when I was at the larger defense firm, there wasn't really a lot of opportunities in our regular cases to go to court, but my first time in a courtroom, and actually my only time before um, I started working here at Simon, being in a courtroom was for a pro bono case. And so it was a really good opportunity for me to get a little bit more experience than I would have gotten otherwise. And, um, you know, obviously the plus is that you're doing something you can feel good about and that's meaningful. So let's, the next thing too is a really, I mean, it, this, this is one of the things obviously that's near the top of the list and that is preparation, being the most prepared person in the room. Paul, you want to talk about that? Sure. So that, that kind of gels with the getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and learning from mistakes, I think, because one of the best ways I've found to make myself feel more comfortable in situations that I'm approaching for the first time is being extremely and probably overly prepared. I know that's one thing that I've heard Tim talk a lot about, and you talk a lot about it too, John, being the most prepared person in the room. And it's not just a, a thing that helps your client, helps your case be stronger, but it helps you feel better too. So when you have a situation come up and the, the question becomes, how do you address it? The answer is, well, you know, I've fully prepared for this. I understand what the ramifications of what I'm going to do are, and this is the direction I should proceed. And I feel like when I've walked out of situations where I've been overly prepared versus situations where I haven't been overly prepared, 
it's the situations where I didn't feel quite as prepared as I needed to be, where I'm like, oh man, I don't know if that was right. I should, I don't know if I should have done something different. I don't know if I should have done X, Y, or Z, but it's a lot easier to be confident in yourself and in your decision-making when you're extremely well-prepared. So I've been playing with my phone while you were talking and I wasn't being rude. This whole preparation thing kind of struck me. You know how the old, the, the Vikings especially, and, and the kings of ancient England had sort of nicknames. You know, Alfred the Great, you know, Richard the, the Lionhearted, you know, and on and on. And, and one of them just kind of caught me. This is, and that's what I looked up on my phone. It's uh, Ethelred. This is in, he reigned from 978 to 1016, I guess the time of the Norman invasion. But it's King Ethelred, and his, his title, you know, subtitle was Ethelred the Unready. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are, you know, a thousand and six years from the time he reigned, we still know historically that he was referred to as Ethelred the Unready. I don't know why he wasn't, you know, got that name, but, you know, that's not something you want to be known for is not being ready or not being prepared because that can really, that, that's just bad news all the way around. I mean, bad for your client, bad for your case, bad for your reputation, you know, whatever you need to do to prepare, you do it. Yeah, I know, especially when I started here, I was new on a lot of cases all at once. And so maybe I just had a status hearing, but I'd take an hour going through that file in full, making sure I knew all, what stage of the case that we were in, what the issues were in case that anything came up in that status hearing that I needed to address. Well, and I think I've heard you say it, John, that uh, preparedness is the great equalizer. So especially for younger lawyers, when you're walking into a room with a bunch of older, more experienced lawyers, you're going to be nervous and you're going to maybe not feel as confident. But if you're prepared, then that kind of equals the playing field and you're probably more prepared than they are. I feel like nine times out of 10, I'm way over prepared. I'm like, well, I didn't need to spend all that time doing it. But it, you know, you have the ammo going in and it makes you feel better and you do and a you better know, job. You're not going to always be the smartest lawyer at, at, at whatever, at a trial or hearing. You're not going to be the most experienced, but you know what? You can be the most prepared. And I, I agree. It is the game changer. And even now, when, I, when I'll handle a motion in a case, and it might be a discovery issue, it's almost embarrassing for me to tell people how much time I spend on motions. I've been practicing for a long time. I make sure I know the case. I know the client's names. I know the, it might, it, the issue in, in before the court won't have anything to do with that a lot of times. And I still know the case backwards and forwards. I need to be able to answer every question. And you know, I do it also because sometimes by looking in a little more detail in the case, you always find something extra, something that you can do, something you weren't thinking about. It might even not relate to the motion, but preparation is it. So, here, you know, here's the other thing, too, that I, I want to get your, get your input on. And that is, you know, this whole issue of, of trusting your instincts. And, you know, I, I've worked with lawyers and I know lawyers who have a tough time making decisions. And, and they have a tough time making decisions because they're afraid to make the wrong decision. And guess what? You're going to have to make decisions. And some of them are going to be wrong and some of them are going to be right. And the benefit, the wonderful thing is you're, you're working with older attorneys who, if you come to the wrong conclusion, they're going to steer you the right way, hopefully. But you, you can't really be frozen. You know, you, you've got to make decisions. Not being able to make a decision is, is just as bad as making the wrong one. It is. You need to trust yourself. What do you all think about that? It's something I had a difficult time doing maybe in the first year or so of my practice. I felt like I'd be thrown in situations where 
you know, maybe my first couple of depositions or hearings, I'd think about doing something or saying something and I, maybe I wouldn't necessarily do it. And I'd talk to Tim afterwards and he'd be like, well, did you do this, this and this? And be like, well, no, I, but I thought about it. So I think at that point you're like, I'm smart, I'm capable. I should do those things because I'm, I know what I'm doing. And sometimes I feel like in your first year, you just don't feel like you know what you're doing, but you do and you're here for a reason. So that was something that I struggled with. And maybe if I'd learned that a little bit sooner, I probably would have been better off. But I think it's part of just your first couple of years of practice and just trusting that you know what you're doing. And because a lot of lawyers don't necessarily know what they're doing, but you do. So I don't know if that's good advice, but I think trusting your instincts is key in this job. And even if you don't know what you're doing, just like act like you do. I yeah, think that and, goes and a long think, way. Here's the thing. You're either going to get it and make enough good decisions that it's going to work out. And if you're incapable of making correct decisions on a consistent basis, better to find out sooner rather than later. <laughs> I, I say that, you know, half jokingly, but I mean, that's what we do. We, we make decisions all the time. We, you know, we, we continually make decisions. And, and you got to get to the point where you can make one, analyze everything, make it, move on, you know, li live with the result. Yeah, I think uh, I agree with Elizabeth that this is definitely one of the most difficult parts about being a new attorney for me was learning to trust my instincts. I was kind of laughing. I think the perfect example for me of uh, learning to trust my instincts is defending my first deposition. Uh, you can take a deposition and prepare an outline, but there's a certain amount of just unknown when you're defending a deposition of what's going to happen in there. And um, you don't really learn how to make objections in law school or really anywhere else uh, until until you're put in that position. And so learning when to object, learning when to stop a line of questioning, um, I think was something that I really had to rely on my instincts for. And then you can hone it from there. But I totally agree with Elizabeth. It's it's one of the most maybe challenging parts of, of your first few years of practice. There are two things that my boss, Tony, told me very early on after I passed the bar and became an attorney that have kind of stuck with me. The first is, I need you to think like a lawyer. <laughs> which means, you know, approach the situation not as this is an assignment or an issue, but this is part of a, a bigger whole. And the second thing he told me that's really helped me make decisions and feel more confident and trust in my instincts is there's pretty much no mistake you can make unless you blow a statute of limitations that we can't fix, which I've, you know, and I've made mistakes and I found that to be the case. And the other thing that I found to be the case is that courts and opposing counsel are generally understanding, especially if it's for a younger attorney. So I think the trusting your instincts thing is that it's partially a learning and a knowledge thing, and it's also a comfort thing. Uh, and that was something that helped me become a lot more comfortable and a lot more willing to trust what I thought was right. So I'm going to tell you all a story. When I started practicing early on in my career, I worked with an attorney who later ended up becoming my partner for 10 years. And he was, he was 10 years older than me, and he used to tell me a story of another, when he started practicing, there was an older lawyer who was probably 30 years older than him, and this is many, many years ago, and one of the first things he did, he, he wrote a brief for this attorney that he was working for, it was his boss. And he told me the story of how he walked into you know, his boss's office and put this brief that he'd worked so hard on, on, on the desk, a little bit later, his, his partner called him in and said, uh, hey, please come down here. And he didn't say anything to him. He picked up the, the brief and he tore it in half right in front of him, just tore it in half and then threw it on the floor and didn't say anything. 
you know, and the attorney, you know, my former partner just was like, what the hell? And turned around and walked out. And, you know, there's a certain way to constructive criticism. And I don't think that qualifies as constructive <laughs> criticism. Brutal. But I think, I hope things have gotten a lot better nowadays than it was. And it was, it was a little bit like that too when I started, you know, a little bit, people were less concerned with, you know, feelings, I guess. And, you know, it was like people were more, you know, hard edged and things or kind of like a hard ass. And, but I think that never does any good at all. It just sends people back, you know, way back. It creates, you know, issues and personality clashes. And, but that being said, I have trouble taking any kind of criticism. I always have, you know, no matter what. And, and I get a lot of criticism, especially from my wife. It's hard to take criticism, but you're not always going to be with someone, you're working for someone who's, you know, very good with constructive ways of criticizing you, okay? And and I'm sure, I'm sure that some of you have run into that. How do you handle situations when the criticism is maybe not justified or it's a little too harsh or overboard and trying to understand that criticism is good in a way? What advice can you give our listeners about that on how to handle criticism of all kinds? Well, I think criticism isn't always easy for anyone to take. I think you'd be kidding yourself if you're like, I love receiving criticism. But for me, I've always, you know, maybe you are upset about it in the moment, but I've always try and I always try to take a step back and realize that for better or for worse, no matter how it was presented to me, if I think about it afterwards, after I've calmed down, I know that this was given to me to make me a better attorney and a better person. And so I just always try and put it into the perspective of I'm going to be stronger on the other side of this. I think constructive criticism is a part of life and it's going to be a really difficult part of your first couple of years. I think that most attorneys are perfectionists. We don't like make, making mistakes. And especially in what we do, we were probably in the top of everything we've ever done and we don't like to make mistakes. So it's really hard when someone's like, yeah, you really screwed that up. This isn't what I wanted. I had to make a lot of edits, blah, blah, blah. And sometimes it's not said in the nicest of ways because what we do is high stakes and there's not necessarily time to, you know, make huge corrections, things like that. And I think whenever I get criticism that isn't given in the nicest way possible, I just try to take myself out of it and not make it about me, but about whatever it is that I was doing. It's a learning lesson and the criticism isn't about you as a person or your character, or even the value you're bringing to your team, but it's just in an effort to make you better. But really, whatever it is, you're doing better because it's at the end of the day, it's for the client and it's to make the case better. So you can use it as a tool to make yourself a better lawyer, but it's not about you. So try not to take it so personally. And I, I know that that's easier said than done. But as soon as I started to realize that and tell that to myself after I had an uncomfortable conversation about maybe something I hadn't done so well, um, realizing it, that it wasn't about me and not taking that on so personally, I think really helps. I have three things that I feel apply, especially in cases where criticism might be a bit more brusque or a bit not as constructive as you would normally hope. That's saying it kindly. <laughs> <laughs> The first is to piggyback off of what Elizabeth said. It's it's not personal. It's easy to look at a project or the thing you're receiving criticism on and see the hours worth of work that you put into it or how you stayed up late working on it, got to work early, and it took days, and it's it's your baby. It's this project, and you did the best you absolutely can do, only to get it back with not perhaps the reception you had hoped. 
but it's not a reflection on the work you did or the time it took you. It's a reflection on, you know, the ultimate belief of generally an attorney who's more experienced than you are as to what the most valuable thing for the case and for the client is. So it's never, it's never a personal thing. And that kind of gels with the don't, not reading too much into it. Because again, for the, the person reviewing the work, it's not looking at it and saying, oh, this took a ton of time. It's looking at it and saying, this is where the case needs to go. This is where this is. It's not where we need to go to get to the point where the case can move to where it needs to be. And it's really easy where you've poured a lot of heart into something to look at it and think, this is a reflection on me. When it's not a reflection on you, it's a reflection on the final work product. And those two things, you need to keep those two things distinct. You know, the other thing too that we need to mention, or I'd like to mention is the flip side of that. You know, taking criticism and how to handle it. And you believe me, you're gonna get you're gonna get criticized, whether it's somebody, you know, you're working for or from a court or a judge or, you know, whatever. But you, you know, you need to be able to handle it. And I think you guys summed it up pretty well. And that is you, you know, try not to take it personally. And and boy, I I do all the time. I still have trouble with that. But you wanna learn from it and, and move on. And there might be some instances where the criticism isn't justified. You know, I've seen those firsthand where maybe the younger, less experienced attorney pretty much is right. And and I agree with them. And, you know, you need to be careful about how you handle that and be tactful and so forth. And it kind of goes both ways. But the other thing is the the sharing the praise or the success. Fortunately for us, we were successful quite a bit and we get praised for you know getting good results in cases or winning a motion or winning an appeal. You got to always include everybody that did any work on that. When When I get done with a trial, and I hope I've done this every single case, I make it a point one-on-one -on -one to thank everybody that had anything to do with that case, whether it's, you know, our tech person or the paralegals that worked on it or whoever it was, to, to literally call them or go down to their office and talk to them because there's there's nothing we do that we can do by ourselves here. It's really a team effort. You know, so many good things will come out of that. If you're part of a case and that case gets tried and there's a good result or there's a motion that's won that you prepared some of the, the work but you didn't get to argue it, you know, if the attorney you're working for doesn't say a word to you about that, that's going to affect, I think, going forward. If, if, at least it's going to affect the relationship. You know, we're all professionals. It shouldn't affect the effort and everything else. We would like to think that it doesn't. But on the other hand, if you do a really good job on a brief and somebody else argues it and wins the argument, and the first thing they do is come down and, and tell you what a great job you did and you were the biggest part and all of this stuff, Man, that makes me feel like a million dollars. It makes me want to work twice as hard and really, you know, it's just good all the way around. It's the right thing to do. So, you know, again, you got to take the criticism on your own, you know, handle it. But, you know, the praise or the success is something that I, I can tell you at this place and probably every other place where there are attorneys doing trial work, ain't, nobody's doing it on their own. It's always a, a joint effort, a team, a team effort. All right. Well, great, great, great session, great advice. That wraps things up for this session. On behalf of Elizabeth and Paul and Megan and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward to having you on the next episode of The Jury Is Out. The Jury Is Out is brought to you by the Simon Law Firm. Share your comments with John and Eric at comments at thejuryisout.law and tune into other podcasts in the Simon Law Firm library including Heels in the Courtroom and Results Don't Lie. And subscribe today because the best lawyers never stop learning.